you can find this FX Medicine video podcast on our Facebook page. If you'd like to know more about future interactive video podcasts, please ensure you subscribe at fxmedicine.com.au. Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Joining us on the line today is Sarah Gray, who's a registered pharmacist and she's general manager of the Olive Wellness Institute. And she's got a keen interest in the phytochemistry of the olive plant. And indeed, that's what we'll be discussing today. Welcome, Sarah. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Andrew. How are you? I'm really good. Now, there's so much to cover with just <laughs> the seemingly simple plant. I was blown away by previous podcasts I've done. Um, So let's talk first, though, about olive oil quality because this is a massive, massive issue. Yeah. Look, you're right. We're only going to skim the surface today, but there's so much to talk about. And olive oil quality is a huge thing to start with, so I'm glad that we've started with that question. Um, So extra virgin olive oil is what we should be looking for. Mm. So quickly, I'll just do a quick snippet of the difference. So extra virgin olive oil is the fresh juice of the olive plant, really. So the olive uh, fruit comes off the tree, it gets pressed into extra virgin olive oil. As you go down in grades, you get more refining. So, you know, with the extra virgin olive oil, that's no refining, it's very natural. Um, olive oil is something that's been more refined. So it's using a lower quality olive to start with. So when the oil gets pressed, it's high in fatty acids or um, things that are not um, palatable or can't be digested well. So it goes through a refining process where you might add, um, companies might add chemicals or heat or other things to refine it. And it actually strips it of the most important thing. So the most important thing of extra virgin olive oil is the minor components all these beautiful antioxidants that come from the olive naturally. When you refine it, not only do you lose all of those, you also produce trans fats. So you're really looking for that extra virgin. Yeah. yeah. So it's, It seems to me to be the reverse of things like winemaking and yep. even herbal medicine extraction where you want to the mark to be are left macerating for an extended period of time to get more and more of the actives here you want as fresh as possible 100 percent, and it kind of makes sense that and we'll talk about olive leaf later as well but as soon as something is really fresh and you get it from the tree or the plant and quickly snap lock that goodness in the end product Mm. you're going to get the beautiful benefits of what's in nature so the more you do to that the longer you let it sit, when it becomes a fruit, more so than a herbal extract per se, um, yeah, it becomes a lesser quality product. So really the first and best tip is to look on the label and make sure it's clearly labelled extra virgin olive oil. So anything that's got like olive oil refined or blended or light olive oil is not going to be the real deal. But even then there was an issue, and I can say the company, Bertoli, Um, yep. in, the, in the United States was, was sued for 11 million yeah. US, I think it was, or 7 million US mm. because yeah. they said something on the label but that wasn't what was in the bottle. So how, yeah. do, how yeah. can we trust what's in the bottle? 
Yeah, and it, it really opens your eyes when you start getting into this topic because you think as a consumer, you buy something that's labelled that way as a food, you think you're getting it. You know, as you become more and more involved in the food industry, you find out a lot about that is not actually true. So we're lucky in Australia that we actually have a, a voluntary code. So not every company will take part in it, but there are a lot of companies that do. So consumers have a huge choice. The Australian Olive Association have created a, a voluntary code, which is a certification, basically. It's a triangle. It's on the side of the bottle. Um, a number of Australian brands are using that product, so um, I definitely would choose an Australian olive oil to get something that's fresh. And by getting that seal of certification, you know it's being tested for quality, for the right uh, fatty acid profile and the right composition of an extra virgin olive oil. So, yes, you're right. Be very careful. Always check for that certification on side of pack. Um, so, a few other things you can check for. Yeah. It's, well, it's another argument to buy Australian. 100% and think about it, it's fresh, it's a fruit. So you don't want it sitting in a plane or being imported from, I know we have this romance associated with Italian or Spanish olive oil. If you're in Italy or Spain, fantastic. That's what you should be That's consuming. Right. But if you're in Australia, we've developed this amazing olive oil industry, which is kind of a bit weird because people don't think of Australia and olive oil. Um, but we've developed a beautiful industry and we have some of the best quality extra virgin olive oils in the world. So you yeah. consume local. Yeah, absolutely. And you, yeah. do you know what's really evident to me since becoming interested? I mean, really, really interested in the quality yeah. of olive oil. And indeed, it was yourself and a colleague of yours who changed my yeah. mind. So thank you. But, <laughs> thank but you. more so than that, not just changing to olive oil Australian made, but also changing my dietary habits to the choice of the olive oil from a lighter one to now I choose the the heavier one and what yeah. I'm picking up is that fruitiness. And I love that. Well, <laughs> I love yeah. that that I love you've gone on that journey. I think we've been talking about it as you've gone on, <laughs> on that journey. And I think um, you make you raise a really good point there. So when you're buying an extra virgin olive oil, it doesn't mean you can't have a light flavoured one or a medium flavoured one. So definitely don't buy a light olive oil, but brands will talk about the flavour profile and what you're consuming there, Andrew, is the best. You're consuming the more robust, the peppery one, the one that's got some amazing compounds like oleocanthal that we'll talk about a bit later. Yeah. And that pepperiness, the more peppery, the more antioxidants and you're getting the, the best benefits. Okay, right. So yeah. okay, so that's an interesting thing, the, the pepperiness. I know that you said to talk about it later, but, you know, um, can we talk about so the, Now, what was the oleocanthal? We can talk about that now for sure. It's one of my favourite, favourite topics in olive oil. So it's this really amazing biophenol um, that actually gets produced in the extra virgin olive oil production. So basically what happens is you crush the whole fruit, including the pit. The pit kind of creates these crunchy edges that breaks all the oil sacs sitting inside the olive yeah. and then enables the oil that's in those sacs to be enriched with what's in the pit and the skin and the fruit. And that's what gives all of the minor components or biophenols, polyphenols into the oil. In that amazing process, like a big tapenade um, is produced, this, this unique biophenol, oleocanthal, is chemically produced through that process naturally, like natural mm -hmm. chemical processes. So you won't find oleocanthal with any other product in the whole world except extra virgin olive oil. So right. I think that's super cool. Um, 
and being a geeky pharmacist, I love it, <laughs> because um, Beauchamp, Gary Beauchamp in the US, together with Russell Keast, who's a professor out at Deakin in, um, in Melbourne, they, they did a bit of work, and it was a cool story, actually. They, went, they were doing work on ibuprofen, and when they had the ibuprofen, they realised it caused a very bitter flavour or, or pungency at the back of the throat, almost that made them cough. Um, Gary Beauchamp happened to go to an olive oil tasting course and he had the extra virgin olive oil and had the same taste. And he said, I'm convinced there's something connected here. So amazingly did some research that was published in 2005 and it showed that extra virgin olive oil and the oleocanthal component actually mm. works on the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory pathway and blocks COX-1 and COX-2 enzymes, reducing pro-inflammatory prostaglandin release. So it actually acts on the same pathways as this anti-inflammatory. So kind of makes you think that's probably why in Mediterranean populations with epidemiological research and studies show that lower, the lower risk of chronic um, low-grade inflammation and those types of associated diseases in that population, perhaps there's some sort of link between that low-grade anti-inflammatory being in their diet for such a long time. Well, that's really interesting because, our, you know, the the... Uh, what do they used to call it? The um, yes, <laughs> yes, the yeah. French paradox. That's right, the French yes, paradox. Yeah. And they put it down yeah. to red wine, but subsequent yeah. research has sort of pulled out. Well, actually, maybe it's more vegetable intake and olive oil. <laughs> yeah, and those beautiful uh, fresh, creepy lean greens and herbs and the edible herbs and tomatoes and mm. the combination. Like if you can, if you cook tomatoes in extra virgin olive oil, the lycopene is more easily yes. absorbed by the body. Right. So that's a frito beautiful recipe that's a very common tomato sauce recipe. Um, it's that combination. So by all means, although I love extra virgin olive oil, it's not it by itself. It's it in combination with that wonderful dietary pattern of the Mediterranean. I'm going to go off on my own little segue here. When you when you're okay. about that cough <laughs> at yeah. the back of the throat, is yes. there any tie in any research that you might have stumbled upon that might yep. be looking at uh, an interaction with trip V1 receptors at all? I know Nothing it's that of, I've seen. Yeah, no, I haven't seen anything. There's not a lot of... Re it's amazing that Gary Beauchamp did the research he did, but there hasn't been a lot more research on oleocanthal. Um, I can certainly direct in the show notes or in the, the notes to this session. Cool. There is an, an author in the US doing a whole chapter in a book on oleocanthal. So um, she may have, Amal Kadumi, um, so Amal may have come across that. So I can certainly on-share that, but nothing that I've read in the literature I've been through, and I've, I've read a fair bit. Awesome. <laughs> so Maybe sure we to... might have to get her on to FX Medicine. Yeah, yeah, she's amazing, and there's so many olive people I could recommend. Um, we've launched a, a podcast you know, a year ago, and the guys at the podcast studio said, how can you do an olive episode every month? And we're now doing them twice monthly because we've got oh, so wow. many topics to cover. Oh, so cool. it's, it's endless. Well, we'll have to direct our listeners to your podcast as yeah. well. We'll put that in the show. Thank channel. you. Thanks, Andrew. Um, now, the biophenols. Now, we've discussed yep. one. What about the yep. others? And certainly the research of Ian Breakspear as well. Oh, it's amazing. So much to talk about in that question. Seems like a quick question, but <laughs> my mind goes crazy. So two things to point out here. Extra virgin olive oil has lots of antioxidants, but so does olive leaf extract. So you get a nice blend. Actually, you get a different biophenol profile in extra virgin olive oil than you do in olive leaf extract. Kind of makes sense. You're getting more of the oil soluble in the oil versus more of this kind of water soluble in the olive leaf extract, and they beautifully complement each other. Um, 
extra virgin olive oil, the highest, the main antioxidant in there would be, well, squalene. It's not a biophenol, it's a triterpene, but squalene mm. is by far the most abundant. Um, and that is followed by hydroxytyrosol in derivatives. So hydroxytyrosol is a wonderful um, antioxidant um, with a lot of different research. It's actually the only biophenol that I've read about that actually crosses the blood-brain barrier. So it can scavenge free radicals in the nervous system. Bit of, uh, bit of in vitro data around that um, that I found. Um, and then when you go through the biophenol profile, there's other ones, so other minor components, so oleocanthal, um, there's lignans, uh, apigenin, there's a whole range. And then when you flip to olive leaf extract, there's this wonderful um, antioxidant called oleoropine. It's actually not that rich in extra virgin olive oil. I think some of the work I've seen Ian do, Ian Breakspear, who some of us would know, shows that olive leaf extract has about 500 times the amount of oleoropine versus extra virgin olive oil. It just isn't prominent in mm. the olive oils. Mm. Um, so if you want to get that one, you more sort of go for the leaf, and the leaf extract also is fairly prominent in hydroxytyrosol. Just one quick thing there before we move on, for those who um, aren't aware or haven't read about this, hydroxytyrosol is the end degradation byproduct of all of the biophenols. So they all become hydroxytyrosol. Right. Right. Yeah, so they all you're going to get there at the end, which is not a bad thing, but uh, that's probably why we have more in the extra virgin olive oil. It's probably gotten to that point a bit quicker versus the extraction method and the form of the olive leaf extract enhancing that in, in the bi biphenol profile. Gotcha. Okay. Is there a greater or different activity of oleuropan compared to hydroxytyrosol? Yeah, so oleuropine has its own distinct health benefits. Um, it's, it's like it's been researched mainly for its anti-inflammatory effects in vitro, but what it really has been shown to do in most of the human clinical work is have a cardioprotective event right. effect. Sorry, that's yeah. why you see a lot of the olive leaf extracts calling out that heart health, cholesterol health component. So there's a number of um, clinical studies, and we can share links to them as well, um, showing that oleuropine levels of about 100 milligrams. And then hydroxytyrosol at about five milligrams and above can actually, if you take that in a dose a day in an olive leaf extract, can actually have positive uh, impacts on uh, modestly reducing blood pressure and modest reductions in overall total cholesterol and LDL cholesterol, and even some protection around LDL oxidation. Now, I just want to be clear here, we're not talking, you know, super drastic uh, reductions we're not talking that you could replace other herbs nutrients or drugs with it but as part of an overall lifestyle it's got very positive impacts on the heart and cholesterol health so millimeters mercury uh, what sort of um reduction actually i have that here actually oh. i thought you might ask <laughs> we have a cool um section of the olive uh, Wellness Institute that goes through all the systematic literature reviews of each of the body sections of the body. So yeah. in terms of uh, blood pressure, we're looking at a in mm, 3.95 uh, millimeters of mercury reduction right. in systolic blood pressure and 3.3 in diastolic blood pressure. So it's not a lot. We're not talking a lot. Um, I haven't got the figures here for extra virgin olive oil. They're actually more impressive, um, the that studies on the extra virgin I... olive oil. And yeah, so I can definitely share you those those numbers in the show notes. I can't remember them off the top of my head, but the SLR section on the front page of the Institute 
goes through all of that and tells you exactly what the reduction was. So I really, I'll send a link for you to share for that as well. Yeah, it was actually like yeah. it was a program on television. It was a, pro- yeah. a TV program, um, yeah. Dr. Michael Mosley. Now, yes. I have I have a normal uh, scepticism of the you know n equals three studies that TV shows yeah. do. Yeah. But but and particularly because they're believed. I mean, it's just like, yeah. but you know. Um, however, I found that it was really interesting that Michael Mosley went to I think it was a Scottish researcher who was, it was yeah yeah and um they were talking about the intake of 30 i hope i got this dose rice 30 mils of olive oil per yes. day and one of the things they said on the tv show which i dispute is you can take yes. any olive oil yeah I, went, we spoke uh, about this yeah <laughs> yeah so um, I love this actually because it shows some of the work and we'll link into Health Star Rating as well. Some of the work we're doing at the Institute is to do, to try and ensure that any research that's completed actually adequately categorises and has the right terminology around the oil use, which sometimes causes a bit of a discrepancy in the research. Now, if you think of, before I was talking about how extra virgin is different to ordinary olive oil mm. and our olive oil has none of those minor components or biophenols and some trans fats. The thing that olive oil and extra virgin both have is this really healthy fat profile. They've both got monounsaturated fats. So no doubt they're both going to impart that kind of healthy monounsaturated fat effect in the diet. However, when we look through the evidence associated with the Mediterranean diet, a bit about how I was talking about that dietary pattern, it's not just the fat profile. The main thing in my um, belief and looking through the evidence and lots of experts in this space is that the benefits of the diet are around those biophenols, those polyphenols, those minor components. So um, it is. It, when you look at the research, it might be that it was just olive oil. And yes, there still is going to be a benefit of switching to from a polyunsaturated, say, canola or sunflower to an olive oil monounsaturated fat. But, you know, if you've got to switch, you might as well switch to an extra virgin and get all of those biophenols at the same time and get those benefits. Anti-inflammatory, there's so much more in there. And only a portion of your, I heard a dietitian once share this wonderfully, only a portion of your diet's going to be fat. Make it a really good one that gives you all these nutrients at the same time. Absolutely. And I've got to say, making that switch to the lighter, to the heavier flavour, you know, I've had a reticence previously that the flavour would become yep. overwhelming, but it's yep. really interesting now that, like, I actually take a dose of olive oil, no bread, yeah. <laughs> just oil. Yeah. And, yeah. and what I'm liking is, as you say, that flavour, that pepperiness. The funny thing that I think people have got to get used to is that it's an oil, not a drink. So yes. it's the, it's the um, you know, the texture but yes, once you yep. do that, once you sort of, it's almost like an acceptance. Once you accept that, it's it kind is. of like, yeah. now. it's really funny. And it's, it's a good point you brought up there too. So one, there's a couple of ways you can tell whether you're having a good oil or a not so good oil. Um, because even if it's labelled extra virgin, unfortunately, there's still some products that are on shelf. Like it blew my mind when I started in this industry. Some brands don't even have a best before date. And we're talking about a fat that's going to break down. So you want a fresh oil within about a year of its harvest date. So some brands list that. Um, and the thing that I find really interesting is about mouthfeel. So when you're doing sensory tasting of olive oil, 
extra virgin olive oil. If you taste it and it leaves um, a greasy mouthfeel and you feel very unwell after it and it smells a bit like car oil or it just doesn't smell good, it's probably rancid and the fat's broken down. So what you want is one that smells um, beautifully fresh, like fresh cut grass, tomatoes, very fresh flavours. And then when you put it in your um, mouth, it should leave a very clean mouthfeel. So you should actually, you might feel a bit, it's a fat, but you're going to feel a very nice mouthfeel that afterwards you haven't got that greasiness in the mouth. So you know, try it with what you buy. Yeah, to try it. And I heard someone say yesterday in one of our podcasts that we just recorded, if it leaves a horrible taste in your mouth, take it back to your supermarket or retailer and say this oil is, is off. You know, don't accept that as a consumer. Just like with any other product, if it's not a good quality, we need to try and make sure we hold the industry to a high standard. You know, you, you raise an interesting question there, and that is the, the issue of adulteration. And yes. as natural yes. health practitioners, we all think that adulteration is an issue only within our industry. In, and indeed, adulteration is a far worse issue <laughs> in the food industry than any, any herbal yeah. issue of, you know, swapping, a, um, whether it be accidental or... 100%. Yeah. Um, we worked with the, um, do you know the American, sorry to cut you off, the right. American Botanic... American Botanical Council, so ABC. ABC, yeah. We actually, through some partners, did a... Yeah, I love him. Um, We did some work with him, I'll share it with you, um, around adulteration of the olive oil market in the US, and we published that with them. So I might share that for your readers to have a look at because that, it's an eye-opener. That'll be an eye-opener. Even in supplements. So olive oil on the shelf, but olive oil is used as a lot of carriers in supplements and in capsules and in beauty products, and you know, there's also adulteration in that respect where it's not olive oil or it's pomace oil or it's rancid, and you don't want to put that on your skin or have that in a capsule either as much mm. as eating it. Um, I was attention to this issue actually by, I'm going to do a call out here, Tass Alice, um, who, okay. like, this man has given his career, his whole life to our industry professions um yeah. and he i remember him talking to me about the issue with tomatoes and he said yeah. it'll state one thing on the can he said that's not in the can <laughs> so it's still a tomato but it's a different mm-hmm. species and this is where the issues lie when you've got yeah. inexperienced and, and unqualified but then I think that to me, um, I love natural health and I just think to me that empowers us as practitioners. I know I'm a pharmacist but I've also kind of gone into that integrative space with nutrition and I think that empowers us as practitioners. We can offer that to patients and to consumers and to the public. Not only can we give them information about supplements and nutrients and health and well-being, how they can select food products that are the right ones, how they can cut through that kind of noise I love, you know, these podcasts help with that. The education helps with that. It means it gives you another place in society because you tell people around the dinner table and they just, they can't believe it and they won't forget something like that. So when they choose those tomatoes in the can next time, they'll know exactly what they should be looking for. I'd actually like to know more about that too. (laughs) Um, You know, we all love the conversations about choosing a great meat or or choosing a great avocado. But when it's in a can, when somebody else made that decision, it's almost like we we bow to their uh, uh, Mm. knowledge. And it's not so. Now, I want to learn more about canned tomatoes now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, Sarah, you mentioned squalene before, squalene. Yes. And this is something that I have never understood. 
years yeah. and years yeah. and years and years ago. Yeah. I remember capsules of squalene mm. and I remember that they were of particular interest to um, the overseas market, particularly uh, yes. Chinese, Taiwanese yeah. people, yeah. and they took it for heart health. But one of the mm. things that I thought it was involved in was cholesterol reduction, and I don't understand this because mm. you look at the biochemical pathway, the pharmaceutical pathway on which statins work, HMG coenzyme A reductase yeah. inhibitors, squalene's yeah. down there before cholesterol. So yeah. why yeah. would a statin <laughs> inhibit that to make... I don't get it. Can you help me? Yeah, help well, us? Yeah, and, you know, I've, I chatted to you about this last time and I was midway through a literature review, which I've now finished, so I'll share you what I think on the topic. Right. I'm not an expert, but I can tell you what my thoughts are from what I've read. I will come back to that first point around the squalene supplements. Yes, it's still, it's still amazingly popular, particularly in overseas markets. I just would mention one thing, though. A lot of them are shark-based, so from certain um, breeds of sharks in their liver have squalene, so... I'd say 90% plus of the supplements on the market are shark liver squalene. It's not a very sustainable form. I've got an so if you are buying, Yeah, so if you are buying one, try and find an olive-based one if you can because it's going to give you a plant-based option. Now, I, did, I had a look through this market and I too was like you. Why are people talking about cholesterol health and heart health? And this is the best that I can come up, and I've spoken to a couple of naturopaths about this as well. Right. As you mentioned, we know squalene is one of the major intermediates in the biosynthesis of cholesterol. It's in that pathway. We know cholesterol is important in the body too, so we need cholesterol to do, to do certain things. But the only reason why we can think that they're putting supports cholesterol health or supports heart health is because it's providing the body that squalene to produce cholesterol in that pathway. You know, I've looked through, I think it was over 170 papers on this, and it's completely inconclusive and there's conflicting results. Yeah. Some papers are showing that it increases total cholesterol, triglycerides, and LDL. Some shows modestly reduces it. But nothing I read overwhelmingly tells me that taking a squalene supplement is going to reduce your cholesterol. So um, myself and um, you might know Bob Wooden. Bob's a naturopath that I've worked with for a number of years. We right. spoke about this. And the only thing we can think of is they're able to make those claims around that supporting cholesterol health message not around reduction. I actually couldn't see any supplements with, not that you can make claims like that on supplements, but I couldn't see any around that. So I think the industry has done a really good job of making this halo around it. It's for cholesterol health. It's for heart health. And people have, have taken that on. Um, I, I it's, wonder, a good, it's a good antioxidant for other reasons, not for heart health. Like it's well, that's, such anti mm. that's where I was going. So maybe it's got to do with you've got a component but the component was originally from a source and then they yeah. find that component yeah. from a different source and we think it's got the yeah. same actions. If it was always from olive leaf, you've got those other biophenols as you spoke about. So exactly. maybe to do with lipid protection rather than lipid manufacture. Yeah, protection of LDL oxidation perhaps. Or, mm. you know, squalene also is very good if you look um, at the evidence it can be good for. Um, it's got this brain health studies. There's... Um, or skin health. I mean, epidemiological research in the Mediterranean shows a lower incidence of skin cancer in those populations because the squalene you know, is thought to migrate to the skin surface and have that antioxidant protective. Right. Okay. So I think it's wonderful. I think it's, if you, I, you know, look at the industry, it's pushing for heart, but it's got a lot of other stuff around it as well. So more to explore for us on the Institute thing, I think, as well around squalene 
the olive oil I'm taking is make, making me look as much as five years younger. I'm 100. But I'm <laughs> Pour it on your face as well and in your hair. <laughs> um, you mentioned oleocanthal before, and, and I'd really like to find out more about its anti-inflammatory effect because yeah. my initial thoughts on um, oleuropean, yeah. and, and this was work initially done by Upjohn, decades yes, ago yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's all in vitro and in doses that were way above human doses so it was an yeah, eye yeah. poo poo olive leaf extract um yeah, yeah, but yeah. then it sort of i started to rethink it and open up my mind a bit more and yeah. and learned that oleuropean has some anti-inflammatory effects yeah, maybe yeah, that's yeah. why it was useful in you know coughs and colds in reducing that inflammation oh, okay yeah okay um, more so the oleuropine anti-inflammatory effects I've seen have been more on that around that cardioprotective around, um, yeah. Okay. Um, I have seen some other data around inflama inflammatory pathways. I saw a couple of papers I looked at, so I'm just going to refer to them here, showing that it reduced the production of interleukins, so including IL-6 and some of those other okay. markers like INOS and COX-2, mm. all in vitro, all animal-based. Um, having cardioprotective it's the main thing i've seen around oleuropine um i thought of something else there around anti-inflammatory um that will come back to me i'm sure if you keep talking well, well, <laughs> but I, it's got it, it, yeah interleukin six i mean you've got so many i mean autoimmune disease issues um yeah. irritable bowel um yeah. Yeah. you've got so many conditions there where olive oil would play a role as part of a healthy diet you know do yeah. you talk about yeah. therapy well in some instance but perhaps but i'd combine it with other things obviously 100 percent. and um, when you think about that you're talking about therapy it's about the amount that's included in the diet so we're going on a journey in the institute now to move from what is the science to what's the culinary application and about 25 to 50 mil of a good quality extra virgin olive oil is going to give you what you need to infer those heart health benefits, those other benefits, inflammation. Um, 50 grams of extra virgin olive oil with high antioxidants, so the oleocanthal, is equivalent to about a 10% dose of one ibuprofen tablet, so a 200 milligram ibuprofen tablet. Right. That gives you that understanding of how powerful this can be as part of a daily inclusion in your diet. Um, and then if you want the oleuropine cardioprotective effects, you could add the leaf in because remembering that's not as high in the extra virgin. So some people say to me, oh, can I use either or? Not really, because you're not going to cook with olive leaf extra. No. <laughs> I say both of them give you the wonderful benefits of the antioxidant from the olive leaf. If you can fit them both in, it's, it's, it's wonderful. So firstly, uh, just a question you were saying about a tenth of one ibuprofen, so 200 milligrams, yeah. normal yeah. dose of ibuprofen is two 200 milligrams. Yes, yeah, 400 so We're talking yeah. about, you know, an overall um, uh, the same sort of action, but certainly not to the strength of that. No, but it's, no also, it's not going to relieve a headache or anything. It's just low-grade inflammation. Yeah. No, but, but uh, there's also the issue of long-term 400 milligram dosing of ibuprofen oh. and that's certainly gut inflammation and in the end there's also the issue of renal disease particularly yeah. for taking other medications we don't see yeah. that with olive oil no i, I um lecture at southern uh, torrens um for the drug and integrated pharmacology subject and 
I think it really shocks the students when you go through the side effect profile of a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. That and opioids, they can really affect pretty much, I I do a picture of the whole body from top to bottom and you can pretty much point one bit of every system where they're having some sort of effect. Now you do need them sometimes under really close medical supervision, but because they're so easily available over the counter, people can just think they're lollies and they're definitely not. So you're right. In your supermarket. Yeah. You know? Exactly. So, um, um, there was one issue I, I forgot to raise there, and that's with all NSAIDs, all of them have yep. cardiovascular risks and yep. they are stratified yep. depending on the strength of the NSAID. That's, that research yep. has been done. So, these yep. are not safe pills. These are, these are things that we need to treat, you know, with respect and, and indeed, um, Intrinsic short term, short term acute for you know something that needs really rapid reduction in inflammation, but certainly not every time you've got a headache you take two. That wouldn't be my recommendation. But I always try and get people to go talk to your health professional, your naturopath, your pharmacist, your herbalist, your doctor. You know, don't just pick things off the shelf. It's one of my biggest, I think, <laughs> peeves <laughs> that people um, self-select because it's so available. So um, encouraging them back into the system is really important. Yes, it's a, it's a very well-known pharmacist, Gerald Quigley. Uh, oh, every, yep. <laughs> every, every year, Gerald walks into a supermarket and purposefully buys a lethal dose of, dose of paracetamol, i.e. multiple packets of paracetamol, to see if anybody will stop him and caution him. Nobody has they to. They don't. Yeah, that's another one. Now yeah. we could do another episode on that round, uh, <laughs> all of that stuff. But, oh, yeah, Gerald's a great, a great advocate for this kind of integrative space as well. Uh, can we discuss immunity, the olive leaf extract? Yep, certainly. That's, yep. that's what it's touted for. That's basically the indications. Mm-hmm. Where does the yep. evidence lie? Yeah, and it's interesting actually because most products talk about that and a lot of it is based on traditional evidence, which I'm a huge fan of You know, going through traditional evidence and having that respect for traditional uses of products. So even as far back as the 1800s, being used as an anti-infective for things like malaria, and being used to try and prevent colds and flus or keep the immune system strong. So there's lots of stuff. If you look back through traditional evidence, heaps on this. However, there's not a lot of scientific evidence, which sometimes puts us in a bit of a pickle with those quite black and white practitioners who want that science there. Um, I do feel strongly about the traditional evidence and feel that has a, a strong role to play. But if we just talk about the science, a lot of in vitro, a lot of animal work looking around its ability to act as an antimicrobial, which could contribute to this, um, its ability to break down viral uh, membranes and reduce viral infectivity. Um, back in the day, they gargled olive leaf tea a lot to reduce inflammation and infect, you know, infection in the throat. Mm. Um, and then there's one paper start, published, I think it was, yeah, 2019, and it was a human study. It was high school athletes, so it's 32 of them, and they had a look at giving an olive leaf extract versus placebo, and they had a look at upper respiratory infections, and it was found that although there was no decrease in the incidence, there was a 28% significant reduction in sick days in the ones taking OLE versus not, and also the the duration was um, shorter, sorry. There was 9.7 days versus 12.3. Not a lot more in humans to go with, to be honest, unfortunately. Yeah, um, but that's a 25% reduction. So that's that's decent. If you think I about, think it's a great paper, yeah. Yeah, if you think about days off work and what, what that's going to cost the economy, that's, that's significant. 
I mean, when you, yeah, yeah. I remember, um, what was it? One of the antivirals when they were looking at, at, was it flu? Not, ta- not um, the ones with the flu, like um, Tamiflu yeah, Tamiflu and all of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I or can't Stel- remember. The reductions or weren't dramatic. <laughs> no, no, they're not really. Um, so, and I think the reason why there's probably not more human research is funding can be hard in the space. Um, but there's certainly, um, you know, I've, I've got in vitro papers showing it stimulates phagocytosis. It can help to um, reduce um, with the viral adhesion, antifungal activity. So there's so much in that space. To That's me, really interesting about the viral adhesion. I mean, yeah. I mean, in the current day, I'm not suggesting that this is by no, no. means or, or way of therapy for COVID-19. I'm not suggesting that. But talking about coronaviruses, i.e. the common cold, yep. And, yep. and the economic impact of days off work and things like that. If you just, let's just go comment. Yeah. Um, yeah. You think about that and you think about the the use of, of olive leaf extract in maybe mitigating, as you say, the amount of days off work and the severity. I mean, my goodness. Plays a role. Money. Yeah, there, there's a bit of, um, I'd love to do some research specifically looking at its effect on coronaviruses. There isn't a lot. There's a very small amount of, evidence on viruses and everything I'm referring to here is small in vitro studies but it's just promising you know it's promising it's nice to think that we've got a human study published in 2019 so and there's a couple on the clinical trials register in Spain so in the next couple of years I think we'll have a lot more around this in human research to kind of pull that very scientific not so open to integrated medicine community along on the journey because I think that'll start to make them feel a bit more confident in yeah. the product itself. Okay, so I know I've sort of gone into immunity and with okay. olive leaf, but I need to get back to olive oil a little, a little bit. Yep, of course, of course, yeah. Cooking with olive oil. So oh, know, yep, there's, yep. there's been some some initial issues raised about the smoking point and certainly about the use with non-stick frying pans. Indeed, yep. I was cautioned when we, I oh, no, don't hassle me, we bought a non-stick frying pan. It's PPOP, PPOE. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but there was some advice there. Say so don't use olive oil. Yeah. Um, so yep. I actually use some um, coconut oil uh, yep. Yep. to to prepare. But on my Barbie, it's olive oil all the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And look, coconut oil is also fine. Um, you know, so we're not saying that olive oil is the only one. A good version coconut oil has got a nice fat profile um, as well. Um, but in terms of the cooking. Um, we've done a bit of research. Well, Modern Olives, uh, Olive Lab in Melbourne has done a bit of research on this. So, and we could share that with you. Essentially, the myth of the smoke point is really a myth in itself. There's actually no evidence showing that the smoke point of an oil correlates to any of the compositional oxidative breakdown or production of any harmful polar compounds or anything else. Somehow, the industry got around um, the I think it's probably more of a refined oil industry got around by saying it's better than olive oil because it's got a higher smoke point. All that means is the smoke points measured by subjective. If you and I measured smoke points, we'd get different values. You look at a machine, when a bluish haze starts to produce, that's when it's just smoke point. We all see it at different levels. Yep. And it doesn't mean anything. So research we've done is showing, looking at the oxidative breakdown of oils, the production of polar compounds, how stable the fat profile remains. And we look at smoke point going up, we don't see any correlation with those other other things happening. So 
that's a myth we're still working on busting. <laughs> well, um, I, but I think my concern would be far greater in the uh, the use of meats, and we know that polyaromatic yeah. hydrocarbons released from meats, charcoal meats. Um, yeah. I mean, the the newer evidence that's coming out says that it's not just in overburning these meats, it's not just in the meat, it's actually in what the vapours that come off and they land exactly. and they're absorbed in your skin. Yeah, and I'm I like, know. I've... I'm almost getting to the stage where I'm going to have to barbecue in a hazmat suit. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. And I think people get caught, you did make a good point, people get so caught up, oh, the smoke point's low so I can't cook with it. I mean, it's, 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 oh, a, it's a piece meat. of the olive fruit. I mean, people in the Mediterranean, they didn't, they didn't even know what smoke point meant. No. Um, and on your second point around, and I can share the published research on smoke point for you. Um, the second point about non-stick pans, it's one I'm still kind of working through, to be honest, and I've gone to all of the main companies and had a look at their pans, went to a shop one day. All the main ones say you can't use olive oil. Um, we did some research on that, which we presented at the Nutrition Society Conference, I believe, last year. Um, they looked at what's actually happening, is there any interaction between the olive oil and the pan versus water versus all other oil types? And there was no difference at all. There was no leaching of stuff from the pan more or not. Oh, okay. um, you know, but I've had people tell me it ruins their pan. So I don't have any evidence to show why it might do that. But all I can say is, is chemically there's no issue with it. Um, but I, it's a hard one to kind of, how do you test that? Um, well, do you know, I don't know. Do you know for me? It actually made me barbecue more. Like I, yeah. I, I, I now <laughs> yeah. fry eggs on the barbecue and the, 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 I don't have any problem with sticking even when I use yeah. olive oil. Um, and some of the, I, yeah, I wonder I if those non-stick pans. Yeah, on yeah the exactly. Beautiful. And I think it's the quality. It's not about the oil. You mentioned it earlier. It's about the quality of the non-stick pan. Worry about, about what's on your non-stick Sarah. surface. <laughs> don't worry about your oil that you're putting in there. <laughs> and you should see my apron. Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, you, I, I, we've spoken a few things a few times about the gold star rating and this is something that yes. we really need yep. to to yep. highlight because yep. this is an yep. Australian first there is suspicion about you know the star ratings on various yeah. foods, but I really think the olive oil institute has done a massive fantastic job on the gold star yep. rating to do with olive oils in Australia I yeah, thank you Australian mate can we discuss yeah that? yeah yeah, so the health star rating, um, the issue with it with edible oils um, is that when they calculate the health star rating, they do it based on the nutritional composition, so carbohydrates, protein, fats, sodium, um, I'm probably missing one there, sugar. The issue with olive oil oils is they've got nothing else but the fat. So what they do then is go down to the minutite of the calculator and the fats are based, are calculated purely pretty much on the saturated fat component. So if an oil has slightly more by a couple of percentages of saturated fat, it gets a, a lower rating versus one that's highly refined with trans fats. It gets a really high, you know, five-star rating. To put it in perspective, um, refined oils like canola oil, seed oils, at the moment have a higher health star rating than extra virgin olive oil and extra virgin coconut oil. And to me, if the health star rating's point is to help reduce chronic diseases in Australia and help consumers choose a better, health, a more healthier product. It's kind of not doing that in this category. So we put some um, petitions in for the five-year review and after that review, they decided they'd still leave it as it was, status quo, but there's still a bit of um, lobbying and things happening in the background now for us to try and work with that because I would like to think 
and one of the proposals has been we can add in when you're calculating it for fruits and veggies and other foods you can add positive attributes in for vitamins and nutrients in those foods or biophenols antioxidants they should be one of those positive attributes and if you've got a natural one in extra virgin olive oil versus a fortified one in a canola oil that natural one should get higher points yeah absolutely. Um, we'll see what wouldn't happens it, but yeah wouldn't it be great to be able to um claim a, a higher star rating based on biophenols and to, to maybe even put a quantity minimum bio biophenols yeah and on that some brands do actually list the amount so you're looking for around 25 to 50 or 60 milligrams and 100 mil. Yep. That's what you want. You want higher amounts. Um, the one you're having, I think, has got about 40, 45. Depends what year it was produced because it's natural products. So it yeah. can vary. Um, but, yeah, my thing with that is that that's not helping consumers choose a healthy product. Um, that's just using a blanket calculator across all foods and not being adapting to it. So hopefully we get some success with this next round of lobbying that we're working towards. And obviously yeah. this is all done from the Olive Oil Wellness Institute. Yeah, so yeah, let's talk about of... when that was formed. Tell us a little yep. bit more about what you're doing in the background. Yep, uh, formed in Feb 2018 now, so we're actually pretty, pretty getting old. <laughs> and we're very fortunate in that we are funded by one of Australia's biggest olive growers, Boundary Bend, but we do get a, a large portion of our funding through horticulture innovation. So we represent all olive growers in Australia. You won't see us promoting any brands on our website or through our communications. It's around increasing knowledge around science, health, uh, everything around that for consumers and health professionals in an incredible way. Kind of like we thought all these superfoods are out there getting these messages out, but extra virgin olive oil and the med diet has a rich history of evidence of use. So we thought let's put that all together in one spot and make it really easy for uh, academics, health professionals, consumers to get what they need. So leaflets on can you cook with extra virgin olive oil for you to give to patients. Um, uh, Abby, one of my colleagues, created this amazing oil comparison tool that's now on the homepage where you can choose up to four oils and get a really quick comparison of how they mm. compare. Um, so many things on there. So we're very, very fortunate in that we just um, secured another three years of funding through Hort Innovation up until March 2023, so we're extremely grateful for that. And it means we can get, we can get doing things like, you know, we're going to do a virtual sensory kit that helps you learn how to taste oils. We're doing um, we've got our podcast channel, we've got YouTube videos coming, so so much more to come. I'm very grateful that we've got the funding to enable us to continue with that. I like that virtual sensory kit. What I'd love yeah. to see what I'd love to yeah. see is like a urinalysis dipstick where you could dip it into your oil and see if it was <laughs> adulterated with different oil. That's a good idea. <laughs> there you go. There's so much more like to cover, it. but Sarah, we're out of time. Sarah, I've I've loved speaking with you. I've learned so much. I, I can get, though, that I have a lot more to learn about these. So I would love it if you would share some of this research that, um, that you've got up on the FX Medicine website. And for our viewers, if you've got any feedback, particularly our viewers overseas, if you've run into issues overseas, America, I know you have, um, yeah. but if you've run into issues perhaps in the Euro European theatre, um, and indeed if you know how to tell a good quality product from your country. Let us know on FX Medicine um, and we'd love to hear your thoughts. But Sarah, thank you so much for taking us through the more intricate nature of olive oil and olive leaf extracts on FX Medicine today. Look, thanks, Andrew. And I'm, I'm very grateful for your time. I loved chatting to you today and look forward to maybe next time. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook.
Don't forget to visit fxmedicine.com.au for today's show notes, extra research and other resources.